Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome, everybody, to the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Of course, I'm Andrew Cooper Writer. You know, nationally, a wave of COVID apologies has started where all the people who got things so massively, massively wrong are deciding that, well, you know, we're just really, really sorry. We're really, really sorry we just destroyed everything. Please forgive us. But yet, one person has yet to apologize for anything done during the pandemic. Any of the government overreach, and it is, you guessed it, Andy Bashir. We will take a look at just what he's done and why we deserve an apology and whether or not we will ever get one. Then a new poll has come out over the governor's approval rating with some interesting points in it that are worth talking about. Then finally, the lieutenant governor candidates squared off a few days ago. I'll go over some of the important moments and provide some facts to combat the raw emotions that Democrats try so hard to just go ahead and run on. We'll have all that and more today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show over the next hour. First, let me, though, encourage you all to go ahead and email the show at info at theandrewshow.com. That's info at theandrewshow.com. Email me with questions. Email me with comments. Also, feel free to email me with stories or topics that you'd like me to talk about. You know, actually, if you listened to the show yesterday, two of the stories I talked about were emailed to me by listeners. And while this goes out on WZXI every day at 9 a.m., it is also available statewide in the podcast form on all major platforms, as well as Facebook, YouTube, and Rumbo. And Rumble, not Rumbo, <laughs> Rumble. So if there's an issue you feel uh, others need to know about, you feel like needs to be addressed, remember, just go ahead and shoot me an email at info at theandrewshow.com. You know, Senate Bill 150 was a bill passed this year in the 2023 session. You may have heard of it. It's been much talked about, much covered. And that's because it's a very important bill. I did a number of things, but the thing that really the, the far left LGBTQ crazy people are coming after, at least in the courts right now, there's some other things in the bill about schools and things, but what they're coming after real hard right now is the fact that Senate Bill 150 banned sex assignment surgeries for minors. 
sex change hormones, and puberty blockers for minors. Not for adults, but for minors. Now, Tennessee and other states have passed similar laws like Kentucky, but Kentucky and Tennessee's laws were challenged in court. We are in the same federal district court, so upon appeal, they were combined together. Now, the LGBTQ crazies, what they argued, what they seem to think is that children have a constitutional right to off-label use of gender hormones. I mean, keep in mind, the FDA really hasn't approved these hormones that uh, are given to these children in these sex change situations. They haven't really been approved for that use. They've been approved for other uses. And so what the doctors are doing are actually prescribing these off-label. So they believe that they have a right to the use of gender hormones and puberty blockers, which puberty blockers, by the way, are, are often used as chemical castration drugs uh, for sex offenders. But anyways, they believe they have a right to use these drugs off use and not just a right, but a constitutional right. Now, when they first tried to argue this, in a court of law, it was actually upheld. They put an injunction on Senate Bill 150 from going into effect. That was because, of course, they had an activist judge. You see, in the world of court actions, when you want to challenge a law or uh, do things in courts, there's something called judge shopping. And it's a really unfortunate fact with our legal system. If anything tells you our legal system has been almost completely broken, it's the fact that judge shopping is a thing because you would hope that all judges would be the same in all cases, that you wouldn't try to prefer one judge or the other. They're all just simply following the law and interpreting it. But unfortunately, that's not the case. That's why people go around and do things called judge shopping. Unfortunately, um, judge shopping meant that these uh, LGBTQ crazies were able to get an activist judge that they, they, they suck out in order to file uh, their argument in. So they, they kind of try to position themselves in the, in the right district, in the right place to grab the right judge. They make sure they grab the, the right complainant. So sometimes, you know, you may have an issue the same as somebody else, but if you're in the wrong court district, uh, the activists and, and those groups that want to go out and they want to bring court action, they won't actually take your case. They'll take somebody else's case because they live in the right area so they can get the right judge. And they got the right judge. And the judge put an injunction on the law taking place. So these far left people were able to get a ruling that they agreed with. However, it didn't hold up because no matter where you judge, judge shop, initially you're going to end up in front of an appeals court. And the appeals court on a two to one decision put a pretty big smackdown on these arguments. Not only did they smack down the use and saying that states, of course, had the right to regulate this kind of care within their states, especially this kind of off-label use of things. They also pointed out that, you know, a lot of their arguments for why this should be the case and how this was violating the constitution dealt with the fact that they were a marginalized group that was afforded special protections. However, the judge in the appeals courts and the majority decision, they pointed out something pretty correctly. They pointed out that when the president of the United States, when social media companies, when big businesses all over, when the federal government is stepping in to try to help them fight this bill and fight for your cause, well, you aren't marginalized at all. 
your actions and, and your being is actually quite the opposite. Marginalized people don't get all that much help from the federal government and from the government itself and from big business and everything else. In fact, it's, it's the opposite. They don't. That's what makes them marginalized. That's why they get special protections. But the ruling didn't sit so well for these people, demanding to be allowed to abuse their children by doing a affirming care, affirming a mental health condition rather than treating the mental health condition. You know, nothing else we treat this way. You know, could you imagine somebody that has, you know, anorexia? And anorexia, it's a body dysmorphia issue as well. They look in a mirror uh, and no matter how skinny they are, they think they're very, very fat. And could you imagine we treated anorexia by instead of giving them mental health treatment, instead what we went ahead and did was gave them liposuction? It is not normal for a person to hate their body. That is a sign of a mental illness. But these parents demand that they be allowed to abuse their children in this way, that the state can't tell them that they're not allowed to, to go ahead and treat their children however they want to, even when it means permanently uh, uh, damaging them for life, uh, meaning that they could even be infertile and continue to have issues. Suicide rates too as well, not to mention very, very high for these type of youth, mainly because they're not receiving proper mental health care. So what they decided to go ahead and do was, well, we're going to appeal this up to the Supreme Court. And they're signaling that they will be moving it to the Supreme Court, hoping the Supreme Court hears the case and they can get a ruling in their favor. It's an odd thing for them to try to do in this particular Supreme Court, because this is the same Supreme Court that overturned Roe v. Wade. How could the Supreme Court that believes states have a, a right to regulate abortion believe that somehow states don't have a right to regulate uh, children receiving quote-unquote gender-affirming care. Off, once again, off-label use of medications, of course, that's not going to fly for them. Now, that's not going to stop them from trying, unfortunately, but I look forward to seeing the Supreme Court come in and put a stop to this once and for all. So Kentucky Senate Bill 150 doesn't keep getting fought out in court, but we know they'll try to keep challenging it. Well, coming up, uh, we, we've seen nat nationally some of these people who really acted out over COVID really put in place some pretty draconian lockdowns apologizing for what they've done but not quite what we've seen from Bashir. We'll be talking about that after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooper Writer Show. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Nationally, over the past few weeks, we've seen some of the heaviest COVID lockdown pushers coming out to apologize, saying they wish they would have handled things differently. Of course, Gavin Newsom in California said he wishes would have done things differently. And on a, a, an episode of Bill Maher, a New York public health expert advisor uh, to the governor had this to say recently. Let's take a listen. A harsher lockdown policy, and in retrospect, I was wrong. 
the, the, the damage to kids of keeping them out of school longer was greater than the risks. But here's the bottom line. Myself, our, our great people, the CDC, I'd like to thank the governor. We were all operating with imperfect information and we were doing our best. So yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's, well, so let's, but let's learn from it. Let's learn from it. Let's learn from it. Let's hold each other accountable. But let's bring a little bit of grace and forgiveness in the. Let's bring a little bit of grace and forgiveness into it. Give us, please, some grace and forgiveness. We just, we're just doing the best we can. A common phrase we hear right now in defense of Andy Bashir. You can admit it or not, but Andy Bashir's handling of COVID is his greatest weakness in this election. The lowest approve, approval ratings he ever had during his term has been during the peak of his COVID handling, his tyrannical rule. Looking back a few years later, we we get to see just how bad it was, how, how bad the effects have been, what have been the real ramifications of his shutdown uh, orders, because we've, we've seen those kind of play out in statistics afterwards, and the results have been clear. I mean, schools being shut down has caused a massive learning loss in our children. The average Kentucky school child isn't even close to proficient in um, reading or math. We see less and less people working than when Bashir took office in part due to his laying off of uh, nearly 50% of the Kentucky workforce. We see death from other medical issues occurring because Bashir shut down medical services he deemed non-essential, you know, like chiropractory. We're the only state in the entire nation to shut down chiropractors. And this closure caused people to miss other important health screenings. And because they missed it, it led to death, cancer screenings, those types of things. Suicide and overdose rates just shot through the roof. And then masking children as young as two, causing huge speech and socialization loss, masking them with cloth and medical masks that it would appear now just uh, to be an acceptable opinion to have that they are iffy on protection at best. Basically, he was wrong, and now we know it. Well, we always knew it, and that right there is the problem. That's the real reason why Bashir doesn't deserve a second term. It's not because him doing the best he could with the information he had led to these outcomes. It's because he refused to listen to information he didn't want to. He wasn't actually doing the best he could because he wasn't listening to all the information. He was just doing whatever he wanted to do. He listened to whoever would back him up on his tyrannical mandates and not listen to those who would detract against it. He refused to listen to people like me and you because we were right all along. We were pointing these things out. Who could have seen this coming? All of us did. We were calling this out from the beginning. It'd be something different if everyone just thought it was the right thing to do, but that's not what people were thinking. A good leader seeks out those who disagree with him, seeks out people who have a different opinion and picks them to listen to as well as people that agree with him so that way he can hear the arguments and make the best decision he could. But that's not what Bashir did. He sat alone in a room with only other Dr. Stack who backed up everything he said, and that's who made the decisions. There wasn't a consensus made at all. He just guessed and he didn't listen to everyone in Kentucky and what all the viewpoints were. And we here in Kentucky suffered as a result. 
Now, maybe you're an apologist and maybe you're the type of person who says, well, he's learned his lesson. You know, he just did some wrong, but it's okay. He's learned from it. Well, you would be mistaken because Bashir and the Kentucky Democrats, unlike Gavin Newsom and unlike this uh, New York public health advisor individual, are unable to admit they've been able to admit they got it wrong. But Bashir, Kentucky Democrats, no such thing. In fact, yesterday, the Kentucky Democrats, uh, their party, the state party here, posted to Twitter a picture of a carved pumpkin with the phrase, you can't be doing that. A phrase used by Amy Bashir to wrap his dictatorial edicts up in a nice comfy sweater so you won't recognize them for the true tyranny that they were. No remorse from the state Democrats, despite the fact that the handling of COVID caused them to lose even more seats in our state house and Senate. But what about Andy? Perhaps he might look back and say, you know, I wish I did things differently. Well, on KET, he was asked specifically if he regrets anything. Let's take a listen to what he had to say to that question on KET. Stick with COVID for just a moment. Governor Bashir. do you have any misgivings about the strength and the duration of the COVID restrictions and particularly the flashpoint being on Easter Sunday when state troopers were checking license plates? Do you regret that decision, yes or no? This is about leadership. And I show people during the pandemic, I was willing to make the hard decisions, even if it cost me. I put politics out the window and I made the best decisions I could to save as many lives as possible. Yes, they were tough, but you have to do what's hard when you are in a one in a hundred year pandemic. And you do it all you, over again the same my, way. You heard my opponent. He couldn't even answer the question about whether he would have made one or two decisions. And I had to make them every day. These are battlefield decisions where people are giving you approximations about how many Kentuckians die. I stood up and I did a press conference every day for a year and a half. And I read off every death during that period of time. It was real and acting like it wasn't, acting like we shouldn't have taken those steps. It's a slap in the face that all those healthcare workers that marched into the COVID wings when they didn't have enough PPE, knowing they could take it home to their families. Did you go too far? I believe we made the best decisions we could uh, with the information we had. Look, No regrets. No regrets at all. I didn't do anything wrong. I wouldn't have done anything differently. You know, like trying to arrest people for going to church. Something that he was literally ruled against, telling him it was unconstitutional. So he already knows that shutting down churches is in fact unconstitutional, as ruled by our courts. And yet he doesn't regret that. He doesn't regret doing something that he later finds out if he's pretending he didn't know, which of course he should have known, was unconstitutional, but he he doesn't regret that. He doesn't regret violating our constitutional rights when he restricted our travel, something that was once again ruled against him. I mean, you would hope at least you'd say, you know, I, I thought I could do it. Turns out it was unconstitutional, so I wish I never did it because I never want to violate people's constitutional rights. That would have been a simple thing to say. But he can't do that. He isn't sorry for using the power of the state to try and force vaccinate everyone either. Many people are just unaware of how far he went with this. You know, people talk about Biden's vaccine mandates. Bashir went very far. First, if you remember, he did a backdoor vaccine mandate. He said he wouldn't lift a single COVID restriction until at least 2.5 million Kentuckians got vaccinated. 
Now, of course, that didn't come to fruition before he had to lift all the restrictions, but he tried to make that claim, something I and others protested every single week outside the governor's mansion, protests that were successful, protests that he actually cited as why he didn't continue on down that road. But what else did he do outside of just that backdoor vaccine mandate? Well, first, he fired up the National Guard and sent them to hospitals to help with staffing. But as soon as those National Guards member showed up to the hospitals, guess what? They fired every single hospital employee that didn't get the shot. During such a huge healthcare worker shortage, he sent taxpayer-funded troops to hospitals to cover positions so the hospitals could go ahead and fire the people who had natural immunity but didn't want to get vaccinated. Something, by the way, we can look back on and say, huge mistake. Natural immunity is actually superior or at least equal to vaccinated immunity, something we all intrinsically knew at the time, but for some reason, Bashir just didn't understand it. His fight to force vaccines into the medical field, that didn't stop there either. Let me tell you about the Georgetown Hospital. You know, while all these firings were going on, the forced vaccinations, Georgetown Hospital wasn't doing that. They actually put up a hiring ad telling nurses that they could come work at Georgetown. They'd be happy to take them at Georgetown Hospital there in Scott County. They'd be happy to take them vaccine or not. And you know what happened is that Dr. Stack called up Georgetown Hospital and threatened them, said, you better remove those listings, those postings, or you're going to have trouble with the state. So despite all of this, Bashir says, nope, I did nothing wrong. You see, no one is perfect. I'm not going to pretend that they are. I'm not going to pretend everybody's perfect. I'm not going to pretend I'm perfect. I'm not going to pretend you're perfect. But we should at least have somebody who can look back and say, you know what, maybe I got some things wrong. Maybe at least I was wrong when the courts ruled that I violated your constitutional rights. You know what, I was wrong to do that. I didn't realize that's what I was doing. But, you know, the courts have spoke about it. I was wrong to do that. You can't even say that. You look at the results from what he did. It's disastrous. He has no regrets. He hasn't learned from it. That's not somebody we can trust to remain in office. When you're talking to friends and family that want to vote for Bashir, just remind them this is who Bashir is, a man who destroys lives and doesn't even regret a single decision he made, even though we all clearly see just how wrong it was. You know, speaking of governor's election, a new job approval poll has come out for Bashir. We'll take a look at that and what it means for uh, the election coming up here just next week on Tuesday. We'll talk about that after this short break. You're listening to the Andrew Cooper Ryder Show, your source for Kentucky political news and commentary from a constitutional and conservative point of view. We'll see you guys back here in just a few short minutes. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky political news and commentary from a constitutional and conservative perspective. You know, a new poll on the governor's approval rating has come out and, well, it has some interesting points in it, some interesting kind of ramifications we may be able to draw from it. And, and, and it does actually leave me, too, with a very important question. That I'll ask here in a bit, but first to the poll. The poll found that Bashir is the most popular Democrat governor with Trump voters in America, meaning that when surveying Trump voters in Kentucky uh, and other Democrat states where they have a, a Democrat governor, Bashir scores with the highest approval rating of 41%. He's actually tied with the Hawaiian governor, Josh Green. 
But why is this? Well, the first glaring commonality between the Hawaiian governor and Bashir is they both have handled once in a lifetime, quote unquote, natural disasters. You know, at the national level, a president uh, has never lost re-election during wartime. So a wartime president has never lost re-election. And it would be my guess that huge natural disasters have a similar effect to a degree on voters. Now, this doesn't mean Bashir will win. Keep in mind, the approval ratings is a lot different than people actually turning out and voting for someone, actually casting a ballot for them. But it does mean that in times of crisis, people show more approval for elected leaders. Eastern Kentucky had a once in a hundred year flood and flood damaging. And Western Kentucky had once in a lifetime tornado damaging. This kind of handling of natural disasters, I think, helped drive that approval rating. But I think there's something else going on here as well. Recently, the Herald Leader actually sent me and a few other, you know, politicos or, you know, whatever you want to call it, people, political experts is actually how they referred to me as. So that's nice. Hopefully my head still fits through the door. Anyways, big head from that compliment. But anyways, the, the Herald Leader sent me a questionnaire and it had some questions just generally about the election. You know, Bashir wins, what's it mean? If Cameron wins, what's it mean? What does Bashir need to do to win? What does Cameron need to do to win? So on and so forth. And one of the questions was that if Bashir wins, it will be because of this. And here was my response to that question. I said, if Bashir is able to remain as non-offensive as possible to conservatives, while also having won over voters due to his handling of disasters, it would equal a win. The Republican legislature has also been a check on some of Bashir's more liberal desires, stopping the effect of them from being fully felt by the voters. Examples include Bashir's loose spending policies and left-leaning beliefs on social issues. You see, most Republicans haven't really gotten to see what Bashir is like because the legislature has kept him in check. That's what I was saying in that response. His very far-left beliefs of Bashir are kind of, they're kind of like a boogeyman in a closet. It doesn't come out a whole lot, but we do get some peaks. We do get to see the monster occasionally. We can see it in his veto, certainly vetoing Senate Bill 150, as I covered in the first segment, he vetoed that bill or banning every single piece or not banning, sorry, vetoing every single piece of pro-life legislation that came before him, standing with the sisters of perpetual indulgence. For those of you who don't know, that is a group of men who dress and drag as nuns, specifically in order to mock the Christian faith, you know, which your claims to be a Christian it's hard to believe that he would stand there and gladly stand with, in his words, I'd take the picture again, I'd stand with them again, individuals that believe in mocking his religion, his stated religion. We see just how far left this guy is when we pay attention. But on our everyday lives, Bashir's liberalness isn't as directly felt because it's the Republican fiscal policy and that of the legislators that is largely driving our state. It is their policies that we are feeling mainly in our everyday lives, so we, we don't really get that full brunt of it. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that I did have a big question that came up because of this poll, and here it is. Where is Trump? Why hasn't Trump come out once or twice to rally for Cameron? Now, I have to believe this isn't Trump's fault. I mean, one of the biggest knocks on Trump people have had is how he lost the midterms during his presidency. And a lot of candidates that um, he endorsed in 2022 in swing states lost as well. 
He's come out, he, you know, he endorsed these candidates in the primaries and in the generals, they failed. And people say, look at that. Trump picks bad candidates. He doesn't understand. He can't win other elections. Maybe he can win the presidency, but he can't win other elections. We need somebody who can deliver us a majority in the House and in the Senate as well as the presidency. So we shouldn't elect Trump. So winning people he's endorsed winning would really help him. So that would mean that if, if Cameron loses in a big red state like Kentucky, well, that would be a huge mark on Trump. It would make Trump look awful. And it adds more fuel to the fire that Trump can't win and Trump won't win against Biden in 2024. I'm not saying it actually means that. I'm just pointing out that Trump's enemies within the Republican Party will use the loss as an opportunity to attack Trump on how he's a loser. I don't think Trump's a loser, but you know, they would say that, of course. They'd use that to attack him. And so either Trump doesn't know that the race is going to be close and that Cameron, it, it, it isn't a for, sh for sure thing for Cameron, for sure, or the Cameron campaign simply hasn't asked him to come in and help, or they didn't ask him early enough for him to get it on his schedule. He's got a lot going on cases. Uh, of course, court actions, he's got rallies, he's campaigning, of course, in Iowa. So maybe the Cameron campaign didn't get to him in time, something that I would believe because Cameron's campaign leadership has been awful on this. Because it appeared to me early on in the general that Cameron tried to distance himself a little bit more from Trump. He didn't know how the indictments would go. Maybe he didn't know how that would play. What would be public opinion? And so because of that, because of their concern, because they didn't just lean into it and see the writing on the wall early enough, they drug their feet, I think. And I've had some people tell me that this is what happened, but you know, once again, speculation. So I think they drug their feet and this has led the Cameron campaign to not getting with Trump soon enough to get him out here for a rally. I honestly believe if Cameron loses, it will be close. And just one Trump rally, especially this weekend, would have made all the difference in the world. And when you look at the polling and you look where it has been, you wonder where has that leadership been from the Cameron campaign? Even, even Bashir has cut ads going after Trump voters, not being afraid to tie himself to Trump at all. But yet Cameron early on seemed to be concerned about it. The, you know, when you're taking on an incumbent like this, uh, when you're taking on somebody that does have a high approval rating, you really got to fire on all cylinders. Now, there's still maybe time to get Trump to do, you know, like a tele-rally where people can call in and be on a rally with Trump and, and, and Trump telling people to turn out. I, I don't know how well those are attended. I've never seen any numbers. I've maybe only listened in on one one time because somebody basically forced me to. But, you know, even just a video from Trump telling people to turn out and vote. I mean, early voting has started. It started, what is it? Started uh, today? Yesterday. Anyways, early voting started. And <laughs> I should really know that. Uh, I think started yesterday. Uh, so early voting started. And yet we don't have anything from Trump yet that I've seen. Maybe they've posted it and I haven't seen it. Maybe I'm not getting hit with the ads, but I do have to wonder where is Trump in all this? He's so incredibly popular. He's endorsed this guy. 
Why is the Cameron campaign not? They should be crawling over broken glass, walking across hot coals to try and get Trump to come into Kentucky to push up those totals for him, to turn out the vote for him. I don't know. That's just my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong, but I got a feeling I'm not. Well, y'all coming up a few days ago, the Lieutenant governors squared off in a debate on KET. And I want to go over some highlights from that uh, and, and kind of just kind of dive into a, a few parts there and really give you guys some facts on that. You're listening to the Andrew Cooperwriter show, your source for Kentucky conservative uh, viewpoint on politics and news. We'll be back after this short break. We'll see you here soon. And you're back with the Andrew Cooperwriter show, your source for Kentucky politics and news from a constitutional and conservative point of view. So a few days ago, the Lieutenant governor squared off in a debate on KT. And I, I want to go over some highlights from that. The first clip I'm going to play is from when Robbie Mills was asked about climate change. Now, the reason why I wanted to point this out is because the Democrats in the state have really pounced on Robbie Mills answer saying he's a climate denier. Let's take a listen to what he had to say. Original question about climate change. Right. Do you believe the science of climate change and that fossil fuels are a contributing factor? Yeah, I believe that uh, I believe that climate change is not as big as what the it, it appears to be. I believe that there are uh, effects that industry puts forward that could raise the temperature, but it's not as large of a raise as they're talking about. I believe that we can move forward and attack that issue, but we could still use fossil fuels and burn, uh, burn more effectively and burn more economically. Now, I listened to that really hard, and nowhere in there did I hear Robbie say the climate doesn't exist. I, I, I just didn't hear it anywhere. You know, it's so funny how these lefties, they love to take things like elections and climate change and say, well, if you ask any questions about them at all, if you don't accept whatever we demand it be, well, then you're a denier of the climate or a denier of elections. I mean, we're not saying climates or elections don't exist. I'm not denying they exist. I live in a climate and I voted, so I know that elections and climates do exist. What Robbie is doing is simply questioning the whole sky is falling, chicken little fear mongering we hear from the Democrats on climate change. Is Earth getting warmer? I mean, sure. But how much effect does a coal power plants in Kentucky really have on the temperature? How much more, how much, how much effect does it have where it's worth you paying significantly more on your power bills? Because that's a good question. Nobody's asked that question. This is what the cost is to our citizens. What would be the cost of not doing this and allowing the climate to warm like it is? reportedly supposed to. What's what's that cost compared to our cost of changing it? Those those are questions and debates worth having. But you see, those are things Democrats, they don't want you to talk about. Because keep in mind that every single doomsday apocalypse climate prediction alarmist has been proven to be false up to this point. Every time they've said, by this time, it's going to be this and this date. Oh man, we're all going to be underwater by this date. Well, they've been wrong. And all Robbie is doing here is saying, perhaps it affects it, but perhaps upon uh, the fact that historically climate alarmists have gotten it so wrong, well, maybe it's reasonable to ask some questions before we say, just tear it all down, 
tax everyone more, make them pay more for electric, a reasonable point of view, I think that merits discussion. But you see, climate alarmism is a part of the leftist belief system. It's a part of their religion. It's a part of their dogma. And if you ask questions, you should be dragged through town square and laughed at forever even questioning the great God that is climate change. That's why Democrats here in Kentucky are attempting to make him sound like he's a climate denier over a very reasonable answer. The next outtake I want to cover with you all is an exchange on a work requirement for Medicaid. Basically, the Cameron administration is saying that they want to require able-bodied people to get a job in order to keep their Medicaid. Now, you know, basically you got to work before you keep getting health care benefits from the taxpayer because you physically can work. You should at least contribute a bit. But let's listen to this little exchange and I'll go you go ahead and I'll, I'll fill you in on the facts here because uh, Jacqueline is going to try to use just some real raw emotion to get you. So let's see. She, uh, you all uh, proposing to take away health insurance for what, 600,000 Kentuckians? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Will you answer that? And then we'll also talk about the Medicaid requirement uh, rules, uh, the rules for getting Medicaid that the uh, your ticket has proposed. Sure. I'm, I'm assuming she's talking about work requirements. And uh, uh, we have a workforce issue in uh, in the state of Kentucky. And I think there are far too many people that are sitting at home that are being encouraged by the policies of this governor to stay at home and stay out of the workforce. That's where we want to, if they are able-bodied and they are able to work, uh, and they need to go to work. And that's just, will help our economy, help fix the workforce issue, partially fix the workforce issue that we have. So, I, I, I will go ahead. Yeah, I got to jump in here. I, you know, this disparaging of, of Kentucky workers has gone on far too long. Um, we have companies all over this country picking us, and they're picking us because of our people. Over half of the Medicaid recipients in Kentucky are working. These folks need and deserve good paying jobs, which is exactly what the governor and I are working to do is bring good paying jobs to Kentucky to alleviate that. Now, well, you know, let me tell you, you're just disparaging the work. You're just disparaging Kentucky workers. If you want to talk about the workforce participation rate, you're, you're obviously you're, you are attacking Kentucky workers. Well, first off, okay. I can't be attacking Kentucky workers when I'm talking about workforce participation rate because workforce participation rate deals with people who are working. So if I'm talking about people not working, because that's, I'm talking about the people, the, the workforce participation rate. So that means I'm talking about people who aren't working. Well, I'm not disparaging Kentucky workers. I'm disparaging Kentucky freeloaders, the people who are choosing not to work. I mean, our workforce participation rate here in Kentucky is 55% meaning that 45% of our population that is in the age bracket that they could be working is not. So if you think that's disparaging Kentucky workers by talking about the fact that our workforce isn't working uh, by choice, because keep in mind, there's two jobs, two jobs open for every one person looking for a job. And, you know, by not talking about it, that's what hurts Kentucky workers the most because it's the Kentucky workers that end up having to shoulder more of the tax burden because of all the ones who refuse to work. Well, those who are working end up having to pay more in taxes. So you're actually disparaging the Kentucky workers who are actually working by refusing to talk about the 45% of Kentuckians that have decided they just 
don't want to work. Then on top of that, oh, well, companies are choosing us because of, because, well, Kentucky workers, they're great. That's why they're choosing us. No, they're choosing you because, Jackie, you and Bashir have given them hundreds of millions of dollars. They figure, hey, we're going to have staffing issues anywhere. Let's just see who can give us the most cash. I mean, these kinds of feel-good responses, that's not how you solve problems. Now, there's one more question I want to zero in on. Actually, a really good one, a very important question. Let's take uh, a listen to what that is here. Oval SK Battery Plant in Hardin County promise of 5,000 jobs. We know that there could be a delay there with the second plant there. Uh, but I've heard that there are some small businesses who are concerned about losing their workers to higher paying jobs at the new plant. How would the Bashir Coleman administration address that strain that these companies may be feeling once those plants are operational? So when we talk about making sure that our workforce is prepared, one of the things that we have done is created a pipeline from um, East ETC for the local high school, area high schools, and make, making sure that those folks are being trained for specific jobs as they move forward. Working in the community, I just did, I actually just did a workforce summit down in that area with some other companies talking about how we can make sure that folks are ready and that they are going to take on these jobs. Um, they're the jobs of the future and they're already here. One of the um, plans that the governor has put into place is an everybody counts plan. And that is to make sure that we are not losing one single senior as they walk across that graduation stage. Some of them might want to go um, to college, two or four year degree or an apprenticeship. Um, but for those who maybe don't have a plan, we want to help get them into a, a job that can become a career that can change the life of the, their their life, but also their future family's life. And as we expand that ac across the Commonwealth, we're making sure that we support you know, whether it's a, a big business that's hiring 5,000 people or the small businesses in those local areas as well. So, so for the record, she didn't actually answer the question. I just, I just want to make sure you guys understand that. I mean, she said, well, we won't grab current workers. We're going to train kids through high schools and they'll take these nice jobs, which first, that's really, really nice. Um, for them to do so. And if every single kid stays here in Kentucky, well, I will, after high school, I will change my registration to Democrat the day that happens. It's not going to happen. Second, how nice for these big companies that the taxpayer is funding their training programs for them. You know, I own several companies. I've got about 30 employees. You know who pays to train my employees? Well, I do. And apparently you and I are both training our employees and then also training the employees of multi-billion dollar companies. Isn't that so nice? Also, just a little bit of a math problem she has here. Um, bringing 5,000 jobs to Hardin County, there's currently 4,000 job openings in Hardin County, only 2,000 people looking for a job. So that means there's 7,000 jobs over the next few years that need to get filled. Uh, only about 1,000 students graduate a year from that high school. So even if every single Hardin County student stayed right there in Hardin County working they would, it would take them four years to fill the, fill all the jobs four years from, uh, uh, the time that it opened. So it will take 13 years to fully push all those people out. So, or, or sorry, it'll take seven years to push out those 7,000, three years. They'll have the job. So four years later is when they'll finally be filled four years after the jobs are created. And that of course requires every student to stay in Hardin County. Not going to happen.
not going to happen. So therefore, what we can point out here is that, well, it will most likely take 10 years to fill these jobs. So she's lying and small businesses will be affected by this. And the Bashir administration doesn't care because, well, they've never cared about small businesses. Well, that's all I have time for today on the Andrew Kubrider Show. Thank you all so, so much for joining me. We'll see you guys back here tomorrow. Um, have a great rest of your day. Remember, go out there and vote. We'll see you all soon.